most people think. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of What Most People Think. Uh, this episode is coming out on Friday, the what is it? What's it going to be? Friday the 23rd of July, isn't it? This is the day. This is the mask day. Are you gonna, are you gonna, are you a great human being? Are you gonna wear the masks in shops? Because obviously, you know, we have this new, this new binary line of goodies and baddies. If you wear the mask, you're, you're a great person. If you don't wear them, you wish to cause a pandemic chaos around the globe. So... I don't know. You know, I don't know about the mask thing. Is what? Why isn't it possible to sort of do both, right? Why does everything have to be so fucking ideological now? Like, why can't I wear the mask grudgingly and just bitch about it the whole time? Why is that? You know, it's not. It's not like religion or politics. You don't have to have an ideologically bedded in position on that. I don't like wearing them. I want to talk about it. Everyone in normal society moans about wearing the mask. The very best you get off a normal person is well, it's a pain in the ass, isn't it? but I'll do it because I have to, or because it helps. Only on social media could people be wearing them proudly and posting shots of them like they're fucking Gandhi. Um, <laughs> and I've, had, I've been reassured, of course, by younger people that, you know, you can do a lot. You can do a lot of the eyes, Jeff. I'm like, you're fucking, you know, like, great. If I'm communicating exclusively with people that express surprise, then then fantastic. And and even then, what, what if they've, I don't know, had some lockdown Botox or something, and then I'm, I'm pissing in the wind, aren't I? So I am... I'm not, I'm not going to accept this thing where people say, God, I've, I've really launched into it this week, haven't I? but where people say, just shut up and wear the mask. You know, these are a lot of people that predominantly seem to me to be Remainers anyway. So the irony of them saying that is pretty rich, isn't it? You know, it's sort of like the PPE equivalent of you lost, get over it. That's what they're saying, that we won on this one, just wear the mask. I'm going, no, what? no I'm not. I'm going to whine about it. Just like you bitched about the referendum for years. I mean, you might not be able to hear me whining about it because I'll be sort of muffled. But you, you watch my eyebrows. Watch those brows. Anyway, welcome to what most people think. I'm Jeff Norcott. This is the show that you know is willing to admit this radical viewpoint that wearing a mask might be somewhat of an imposition on people, and that you know maybe a government that aren't that sure about it themselves should be kind of uh, queried on this issue. They don't seem to have any conviction on mask wearing, do they? they? They're kind of like, they're going at it with all the conviction of one of uh, Labour's lawyers. <laughs> um, the other thing this show is willing to admit is, um, is that I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that I'm enjoying the Johnny Depp case, I, the defamation case. They're obviously two, you know, spectacular arseholes, as far as I can see. And, and to any millennials listen, this is what news used to be. It used to be cocaine shame, hooker shame, now they're shitting in, shitting in the bed shame. That's a new one on me. I didn't, I didn't even know about that when I was younger. And, uh, you know, I know that they're two human beings, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm not finding this massively entertaining. You know, they, everything's become so holy, isn't it? You have to sit there and go, no, I think we should remember at the heart of this are two human beings. Yeah, you know, only, there's only two. There's a lot of things happening at the moment that affect a lot more people. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. So one thing we do on the show as well is uh, we have a cuss count, which is my friend David Domain, he... He tots this up like a scorer in cricket. So last week, we've had a few weeks where the fuckings were up in the high teens, where we've had a slight flattening of the curve this week. Um, Fuck. Sorry, I didn't mean that sort of hiccup as I said it. Fuck. Um, Is 14. There were 14 fucks. There were 12 fuckings. Uh, Two cunt muppets, (laughs) which is a new word invented exclusively for last week, which I hope to carry forward. One pish which is, I think we were talking about really good Scottish swear words. One pricks, uh, one prick, rather. 
six shits and two shites. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting spread then. It's good to bring new swear words in uh, after all this time. And I think uh, I think sometimes lobbing, lobbing swear words together is, is an incredibly creative form of swearing. So if there's some that you routinely throw together, uh, what, what most people think, uk at gmail.com, or if there, indeed there's anything I said in the show that uh, you want to come back at me at, you want to you know, you want to tear me a new one on, or you want to agree with me, just just email. I love the emails, actually. And at the end of this show, uh, there's quite a good letter section as well. But th- this will be after we have a guest who is Marcus Brigstock. That's right, the arch-remainer, the, uh, the head of the liberal elite. I've managed to pull him away from his liberal elite meetings. Because what happened was, basically, me and him had a, a minor spat on Twitter, which happens sometimes. We've been there before. And we Look, the truth is we get on, we get on, right? And, and he has been supportive of me he doesn't agree with me at all but uh, but yeah he said very nice things in interviews and stuff like that but yes on twitter we fall out a bit so so the chat with marcus was great man it was so there were so many things that i wanted to get to but we really got into it and it's quite political i'll say that much and stuff and i think he was willing to be like really honest about his own views and open-minded you know he asked me a couple of searching questions so if you're remainder listening there was a lot i just just you know i think this is a really interesting chat and straight away I already knew that I wanted to have him back because there's so much I didn't ask him about uh, that I wanted to. But uh, that's coming up. Thank you for anyone who came to see the car park gig in Northampton. Um, It was an experiment. It's an experiment doing these car park gigs. I know a lot of people have loved them. There's a lot of people there. They're great lineups. There's a show put on by the Comedy Store. I I found it tricky because it's a very strange thing waiting for a a beep. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of a laugh. All my career, it's been laughter, and then suddenly it's the same sound as when people are giving me the wanker sign and telling me to get out of the way. So what happens is, it, you know, it's quite quiet. You do your routine, and then you can't really hear the laughter. Sometimes you can on the people near the front, but even they're 20, 20 metres away, and if they've got the aircon on and the window up, <laughs> what have we been reduced to where our gigs are affected by people having the aircon on and the window up? But, yeah, then you get the beeps, like, and then... I don't know, it sort of sounds like one of those weird football matches from the 80s. You know, those European Cup ties? I can't, can't expect Barry Davis to come over. Is it, am, I just, am I just looking for an excuse to do a Barry Davis impression here? Yes, so you join us here at uh, the car park in Northampton and Jeff Norcott has just opened with an absolute pearler of a knob gag. Well done. Um, <laughs> and also I want to say thank you to people. Uh, I, did, I, I sat in for Giles Corran on Times Radio last week, which I know is a bit of a leap for them. They're kind of thinking, oh, Giles Corran is off. He's a, he's a very kind of metropolitan type guy. You know, he likes good food and restaurants. He's not about, who should we go for? Norcott. I don't, I don't really know how I blagged that one, but I did enjoy doing it. You know, sitting there doing the old radio thing. Yeah, coming up. Yeah, coming up after the hour, we'll be talking about Beethoven. I had to, I had to talk to a woman about a book about Beethoven and, and I became so conscious of sounding like, well, the way I say Beethoven for one, is I actually did quite a lot of research and I, I seemed, I think I seemed interested to the point where she thought I was taking the piss. <laughs> she was like, yeah, yeah are, you, are, you, are you sort of like, are you punking me at the moment? I was like, no, 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 because the thing was, right, when he did his Fifth Symphony, I mean, that one, that is an absolute banger. Da, 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 da. And I, I don't know if she thought she was being Ali G or not. Um, the fuck you this week is going to go to Henry Cavill. Now, I don't know. Uh, David Domain actually brought my attention to this. I don't know if uh, if you've seen this clip, and ladies, get on it, is what I'm saying. But he's he's building a computer, and the fucking arrogant prick is he knows how sexy he looks, so he builds a computer with his top off, and he does it. He's got a screwdriver out, 
You know, it's all that metaphoric shit that women love. You know, they claim that they're complex, these ladies, but give them a bloke with a fucking screwdriver or a pile driver going on, and, and there's a message that they, they very much buy into. And like, uh, I, thought, I thought, fuck, you know, screw you, Henry Cavill. Do you know how much of an out-of-shape twat I look like building a Lego Death Star? Sweating, feeling under pressure, do you know what I mean? Sitting in unflattering positions underneath it, trying to push up a... A little piece of Lego onto it. How much of an insult? How much of an insult, Henry Cavill, was it to the kids in the sweatshops who actually build those things for a living? Yeah? <laughs> Do you think they're getting viral clips off it? No, mate. They're getting like a pound a day. So, uh, so yeah, massive fuck you to Henry Cavill. Right, now it is time for the clash of... Uh, well, the clash we've been waiting for. It's Gammon versus Romana. Norcott versus Brigstock. Just a quick late addition to this. The reason that the podcast was late in the first place was that a few sound issues with the interview with Marcus. Uh, I've done the best that I can to make it sound as decent as it can. Uh, I just didn't want to lose the chat. So look, hopefully it comes with the caveat um, that the sound is a bit odd, but you can understand what we were saying. So here we go again. Right, so welcome to the podcast. It is... Arch liberal elite. I think he's the boss of the liberal elite. I think, <laughs> I think he was recently made head of them, and I don't know if he's just finished having some canapes or whatever things. But uh, it's Marcus Brigstock. Well, mate, thanks for coming on the show first and I'm foremost. Just swallowing the last pate volavant. You and people, now I'm ready to speak. <laughs> you, you people disgust me, mate. So we part of the reason we agreed to do this was because we had a little tête-à-tête on Twitter, and I, I don't always yeah. like to. Having, to, having taken the piss out of you for having volavants, I've just said tete-a-tete, so I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I'm already assimilating. But um, but we had a little fallout, so we decided to bring it online. But if you could just pray see what happened. So there was the news about the Russia report, and then um, and then I yeah. did I did a tweet sort of saying, ha-ha, it wasn't Russia, maybe the British people wanted to leave the EU. You sort of felt that that was classic Brexit circling the wagons. I thought we could pick it up from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Your, your tweet, I'll, I'll try and praise you in an honest way, said... Uh, Do the voice. <laughs> your, your tweet said, right, listen, geezer. <laughs> right, listen, nothing happened and it's all good. Oi, oi. <laughs> right, that's what I read. That's yeah. what you wrote. No, your, your tweet said, it basically, if, if the Russia report didn't show that there was much going on, uh, is it possible... Possibly, maybe, just maybe, that the British people just wanted to leave the EU. Yes. And I was like, well, yeah, it's possible, but clearly they didn't. And so uh, so my reply was sort of pissy in response and went, yeah, 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 that'll work. Just get in a circle, face inwards, ask no questions, put your hands over your ears, and if anyone suggests anything untoward happened, just effectively go la, 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 will of the people. It's always quite exciting for other comedians, I think, when comedians lock horns, you know, like when there's, there's yeah. this moment. But I think it's happened with us before. And the one thing I quite, I sort of appreciate is I often think that you're just saying what they're all thinking anyway. So I quite, <laughs> I quite like the fact that someone actually um, says it. But I think, you know, that morning, it was unusual. I don't know about you, sort of strapping on the Brexit battle armour because it's been quite a long time since we've donned yes. that gear, isn't it? There's been this other thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, for those of us for whom, you know, this is this is constantly painful, and and you know, for for Brexit supporters who have the view, I think quite justly actually, that people like me have literally spent three years going, but it's not fair. 
um, they're right because that is exactly how I feel. Yeah. Like I feel emotional. I feel like the crybaby that the meme suggests, and I am literally stamping my foot and going. I'd, I'd like to think that I'm not doing it in a babyish voice, but I can see how that comes across. If you're not on board with my position, I'm going stop. This wasn't fair. This wasn't just. This wasn't accurate. Not enough information was available to any of us. So adult or babyish, that's exactly how I feel. And yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, all the news as we get nearer, you know, David Frost is talking now about the negotiations. As we get nearer to the end point and a no deal seems as likely as it's ever done, I am like you know, grabbing my hair and, and behaving, I, I know, from the point of view of those who don't agree with me, in a babyish way and stamping my foot and not accepting the result. I mean, of course I accept the result, kind of, but I'm also like, there's... Uh, uh, it's too painful. When it comes... You mentioned there about the possibility of no deal, and I think that this is where I may have a, uh, a kind of sting in the tail, is I've always thought the genuine conviction that it won't come to that, right? Now, I may be, and we're probably closer to, than ever to me being proved wrong if it's going to happen, but I, I suppose I've always felt that the scale of vested interests is so great. But, um, and, 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 you know, and the other problem, I suppose, Marcus, is that the, the brinkmanship in the previous three years, you know, there is a very much like a boy yeah. cried, cried wolf thing. There was a lot of this. I was going to the wire, you know, and eventually something came back. But do you, do you think this this really is it and you you're, you feel... Well, I mean, it's how negotiations have to work, that both sides have to eyeball each other and go, well, maybe this is over then. You know, I mean, we've all had, we've all had rows, haven't we, where, where we want to win and we go, all right, well, I think maybe this is done, <laughs> you know, because you hope that that will make them go, oh, no, hang on a minute, and that weakens their position. But I... I mean, I've always had the view with with the idea of a no deal that some people are going to get hurt, like really badly hurt. And by hurt, I don't mean physically really, although, you know, some harm will come, but some people whose communities I don't live in, but I see as a touring comic. I mean, I'm, I'm a privileged man. I mean, I'm a a posh boy, you know, it's pretty easy for me to be <laughs> left of centre. It's pretty comfortable where I am. But I do tour around the country and I'm not blind. And I've, people often ask why comedians get so wound up about so much stuff. And I think, you know, you and I are both touring comics, so we see the places all mm. over the UK. And my view's always been, if we end up with no deal, some people are going to really, really, really suffer. And... You know, to not to take the wind out of your sails, but if you want to see people really, really, really suffer, you can do that within the European Union. Go to Greece and have a look at how bad it's got for some of the people over there when you combine national mismanagement with the EU's blindness to some of its membership. And I th I th to some extent, that exists in the UK as well. But, well, it's, you know. it's interesting you mentioned sort of about uh, EU mismanagement there. I guess I was wondering, you know, over the course of this, this few years, you know, there's some people that have been 
quite evangelical about the, the EU project. Is, is there anything about, like, the process? I mean, like, like, I'll put my cards on the table. One of the things I was absolutely wrong about was the degree to which the EU has pulled together. I didn't. I don't want a messy breakup of the EU, but I sort of thought that I didn't see that there'd be the unity that there has been. And, and sort of conversely, is there anything in a negative way that you've actually started to think, well, that one side of the argument I concur with about the EU, or that is a particular problem with the organisation? Well, there's loads. I mean, there's loads that's been wrong with the EU for absolutely ages, ages and ages and ages. And, and, you know, with this stuff, I just, it's fine. You just draw a different conclusion from some people. Some people, I think, very justly go, look, the EU is so far down a certain path, that certain path being, for example, Germany's manipulation of the currency. So for those who are, who are stuck inside that, there's a yeah. massive downside to that in order to prop up German exports. And that's not what a union is supposed to do. A union is supposed to reach out to its membership and protect them. So there's stuff like that, but that's, that's always been the case. But since Brexit, I don't know. I'm trying to, as I think about it, I'm trying to go, well, hang on, how, how blinded am I by a sense of panic about it, I th- I think basically the EU's position in terms of the UK has been reasonable, and I think it continues to be. I'm afraid to say. I know that's for for you know for deep Brexiteers, that's a very painful thing, a very unpatriotic view to take. But I, I you know I look at it now and I just go, well, of course we can't have the benefits if we're not part of it. So their environmental protections and their people protections so they're the number of hours that that Mm. people can work there are the conditions within which people can work and the eu sets the bar higher for those particular standards than really anywhere else on earth i suppose but that's one of the history of the earth but that's what i wonder like given the weird the sort of power base the tories now have or voter base that they have now i agree that another iteration of the tory party might well have savoured rolling back some of those things, you know, when they put on their bad guy moustaches, you know, mm-hmm. historically. But because of who votes for them now, that's what I wonder. I wonder if they've got any latitude to do any of the kind of fun bad guy stuff they used to love. Like, Well, I, yeah. I, firstly, I don't think deep down, I don't think they want to. I do think there's greed, and I think the greed blinds people, and that... Hmm. that Will hopefully will take us back to talking about about Russia and where they're at in all of this. But I don't believe in the in the bad guys stuff particularly. I believe more often in, not that it's to do with being inept or how dangerous real privilege is. Real yeah, privilege I, I think I agree. You don't have a clue how people live. I think that ineptitude is, is is underrated. I think that the, the left for about 10 years have spent a lot of time creating this bogeyman image. Um, and it's sort of like they're chasing a ghost, really, a kind of spectre of something, Which yeah. whereas the rest of the public, pro- I think, probably don't fully buy into that. And it simply comes down to competence. I think at most times in history, yeah. the public have gone for the least shit of two options, right? Um, yeah. where, where it's yeah. become a, like a... a a moral crusade sometimes on the left. Where are you at with the left? Because obviously I think that, you know, you were like a rational voice on Corbyn and stuff. So I'm no longer the left. So I was deemed the left as a comedian when I was doing lots and lots and lots of Hmm. satirical stuff. I was on Radio 4 and the Now Show doing 
the sort of lefty-ish rant, and I had a show very similar to the Mash Report or the late edition, which was definitely left of centre by modern standards. So I'm I'm in the same camp as you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm. It's very loaded now to say centrist, but yeah, I'm definitely a centrist because I think that nuance is is everything, and it's why I feel really strongly that we should never have had a referendum on the EU. There is no way that even those of us who were passionate about it could understand what it meant. And for those, and forgive me if, if you're one of them who goes, we knew what we were voting for, I would say bollocks, because you still don't know what you were voting for, because we still don't know what it looks like. No, I agree that there was a a lot of unknowns. What I find hard to absorb is the idea that you join something uh, on one basis, right, and that it it changes exponentially over a period of of 40-odd years, and that's what I can't get my head around. I can't get my head around that that the people never have another say on that, right? And then the other thing was... Is that is that you know freedom of movement? Like it always. I was never against like you know relatively high levels of migration. I just it was the absolutism of it in perpetuity. Like there was nothing yeah. a state could ever do. There was no set of circumstances in which you could change that. And and to me, I suppose right. And I don't know if you've ever had this chat like in earnest. Was that it? It sort of seemed like a risk not to vote leave. If, if you get my drift, because I sort of thought. I kind of saw how it would go, and I thought that one once this campaign's finished, they'll never fucking ask us again, ever. Like so, it's yeah, either yeah, it's no, either you vote, either yeah. either you vote for it now, or we will always be uh, a part of this thing. You know, as time's gone on, I think that you know certainly at the moment, I'm probably at the more moderate end of the leave thing. Like I probably think that, given there's been a global pandemic, uh, a tra- you know an extension probably seems wise. But I also understand. The people who think that give it another year, the Andrew Adonises of this world and the Gina Millers, you know, that's that's a lot of time for people to mobilise again. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And, it, I mean, it's interesting from, a, you know, the perspective stuff on this. I mean, I listened to your excellent Radio 4 show and I remember I was sitting in the car driving to a gig and there was a thing in there about what um, freedom of movement meant or means to nice, posh people like me. And I'd done a very mild joke about it myself sometime before, and it's basically freedom of movement works a treat if you're privileged Mm. because these these people come and work for me. I don't mean that I have a staff. Of course I don't. But Come on, Marcus. It's what we want to believe about you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, you can have it. Of course I have a staff. But, you know, my my memory of it is that you, you did stuff about about people working in service positions, servicing people like me who make the case for freedom of movement, and it's very comfortable. And I remember sitting in the car thinking, not only is that very funny, it's also really made me wince, which is what good satire's for, right? It's, it's what it's for. It should, it should discomfort the comfortable. But, but part of the thing for me with Brexit, and especially those, even if you set aside unhelpful accusations of xenophobia or racism or anything like that, any form of bigotry. But if you quite reasonably assume that for lots of the communities that you and I gig in around the country, immigration means something very different to what it means to me, and it's uncomfortable, not because they're bloody foreigners or they're speaking a funny language or their food smells funny, but because 
truth be told, if my kids were going into a classroom where most of the kids in there didn't speak the same language mm. that my kids had grown up with, I'd be really bothered by that. Yeah, really bothered, and and that has been a reality for um, for some people. But you know, the freedom of movement thing. If anybody who voted for Brexit in the hope that that would shift, I hope are now seeing like. <sighs> We're going to have mass immigration because our economy is completely dependent well, on it. Interestingly, it will simply come from elsewhere. Interestingly, which is on, fine. on that note, um, so I saw something in the FT a couple of days ago, and it, there does seem to have been, you know, since the Brexit vote, the overall view on immigration has become more positive. If you look at the the olive branch that's held out to kind of mm. Hong Kong. Hong Kongese, I think yeah. that is what you call um, uh, expatriates. Uh, that, that's brought like that, that there's, there's a quite clear majority in favour of that, and there there is a wonder. And I'm, listen, I'm not trying to say that hey, that leavers eventually de- delivered integrated racially progressive views, but yeah. but that maybe that there the, like you say there is an inevitability about high immigration, but the people were kind of heard, and I, I did like it was an earnest argument for me at least was that was that it had become exclusively favourable towards this this one continent. You know, when I grew up in when I grew up in South London um, in the 80s and 90s, you know, like uh, immigration from uh, India and Pakistan was very high and it seemed yeah. to all move from different parts of the world just to this this one part of the world. And I don't know. I, this is the weird thing, Marcus. In the long run, I am I am really am an optimist. That's and I'm not, I can't say that that's true of all. But I do make decisions from what I think is a decent place, and it is strange when they get they sort of play out as these malicious intents. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I like to think of myself as an optimist, but obviously, when something makes you uncomfortable, mm. you know, you're drawn towards. You're drawn. To, I mean, especially now, you're drawn towards that echo chamber, and the echo chamber, obviously, if you're in amongst lots of Romani people is, well, this isn't going to work and that's not going to work and that's going to come apart and that'll break and look what they've done now. I know that, you know, I heard you speak really frankly about the, the first tour that you did after Brexit and policy, I think you might have been over this ground, but I think people will be interested by it. Was that's the, right, Because, you know, as, as comics, we all found this. Like, you know, I went up and did a show at the Edinburgh Fringe and I, whenever, when I said I voted leave, it was tense every fucking night. And I know that you went out around the country and, and you had issues yourself. Yeah, it, it blew up. It, it was it was interesting. It, it blew up. And the thing is, both you and I are passionate about politics, um, but probably more passionate about comedy. Yeah, and I agree. I think even yeah. setting that aside, like if you're a comic and you forget that your first and actually only job is to make them laugh... You have to make them laugh. And I had a really good producer on the Now Show years ago. He was quite unpopular in his way, but I remember him saying to me, I submitted a piece, and he went, it's a funny piece, that. And I went, oh, thanks, man. He went, yeah, the trouble is, it's only funny if you agree with you. And I went, shit. And I sort of went away, and I rewrote it to an extent. And the truth is, actually, if people disagree really profoundly, they won't find it funny. But still, you have to try. You have to try and find the middle ground. And, of course, I was gigging in lots of places where they wanted to hear what I had to say, and it was very comfortable to go off on one about Brexit. And then I went to parts of the country that the majority voted for Brexit, and basically my show was an insulting, patronising, 
privileged assault on something that really meant something to them. And I, I kind of walked away going, well, shit, I didn't do my job. And, and you know, I was arrogant enough certainly to write that show, go out and tour it and, you know, but I'm not arrogant enough not to have drawn some conclusions from that and go, no, you've got to think more carefully about this. And it's no good telling people they're thick or implying they're thick or implying or telling them they're racist because it is more complicated than that. But why was why was that experience? Because I'm not saying this of, of you specifically, but we'd had a long time with left comedian, left wing comedians, where Tory voters were, you know, like a, a target, right? So why was this different? Because I think that a lot of Tory voters sort of accepted for a long time, like, yeah, we're the punchline, you know, like we're, we're the estate agents of kind of politics and stuff. Why was Brexit? Because I agree, and I think it was the same. I, I had reactions out on tour. I had people like, I had a guy uh, in a show in Nottingham that was from Holland. He got really upset, man. Like, he really, he took my vote as a personal assault against him. And I was trying to say, I don't, I didn't understand why he couldn't see it was like a, an amalgamation of a lot of things. But And it was a really tricky moment to manage, right? And then when you're confronted with the way that your votes changed someone's lives, it was, it was difficult. Why was this Brexit thing so fucking different to everything that went before? Okay, we're going to answer the question of why this fucking Brexit thing was so fucking different everything that fucking went before. After, the, uh, after this brief hype, I hope you're enjoying the chat. Again, I've got to say... Sound nerds, look, I know I know you sound nerds are like, you're sitting there, you're making a little list of all the things that are wrong with the sound. T- send it to me. Send it to me at what most people think, uk at gmail.com. I know what you sound nerds are like, you've got to be heard. And you know what, if you're a patron, I will make a genuine apology. And if you're not, I will, I will take the time to write you back and tell you to fuck yourself, because it's free. <laughs> now the sound nerds are raging. Unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Um, yeah, like I hope you're enjoying the chat with me and Marcus. It's on the intense side sometimes, isn't it? But it's, it's two men, two men from uh, the other side of the tracks here, just just feeling each other out, just trying to understand one another. And I, I think we need more of this. I do. You know, I think we should spend more time talking, understanding, finishing sentences with words that go up like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I hope you enjoy the chat. And we're going to go back to it after this. But um, quick hype for the five pound. Patreons, uh, we've got who we got. We've got Paul Flint, cool name, Paul. Andy Lawrence, solid, and we've got Stu Et At Stu Etkins. It's spelled E T K I N S. Stu Etkins. That sounds like like Stu Atkins, but said with the voice of like a Lance Corporal from the First World War. Like, hello, Stu Etkins here, reporting for duty, sir. God, I love King George. I'm so happy to serve my country and get bayoneted in the fields of the Somme. I couldn't think of anything else. Bought a better way. My mother would be so proud, sir. There I was, even though I looked 40 years old, I was 18 when I went in to serve. Smoking 100 cigarettes a day, sir. Because there was nothing wrong with it back then, as far as we could see. Even though we was all coughing our guts up the whole time. It was good for your lungs, especially the menthol ones. Um, wow, that was... <laughs> That was a slight fight of fancy. That's, that's what we call improv in comedy, guys. Uh, you can see plenty of that at the Edinburgh Fringe, except it's not fucking happening this year. Um, but what is happening is Jeff Norcott's Front Room Fringe, and the tickets sold great for that. We're, we're getting very close to sell out for the first two dates. Still dates left for the Saturday, the 7th of August. You can find them on Eventbrite. And um, I might, I might, yeah, look, if those all sell out, I might add more dates. 
I'm, I'm gonna add more fucking dates here. Look, why, why am I trying to act coy like there's this demand that I won't accede to? I, you know, guys, like, I'm not promising anything, but uh, I might have another ha- night in sitting on my own in my fucking house, and I might do it again. But uh, but let's see if those dates um, sell out first. We're gonna make it as much like an Edinburgh experience as we can, and by that. I mean, uh, it's going to be um, where you're going to get flyed to fuck by sixth form drama students on the way in. That's what I'm going to do. Everyone that bought a ticket, I'm going to send around some really middle class kids from a private school who are doing some really feminist version of Macbeth. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, we're going to find out now why Brexit was so different from everything that went before. But I can tell you this, and and, uh, some of your listeners will be like, I knew it. But I really do, on a deep level, see myself as a European, Mm. right? And and I'm so proud to be part of this, this group of nations who've spent their entire history warring with each other. Warring literally, but also warring over like... Haha, all right, you're going to sell that apple for that. Well, I'm going to sell it for this, and I'm going to sell two of them cheaper. And we found a way to go, actually, let's not. And so I, I feel this, and it's a really emotional thing for me. And I see myself as European, and in exactly the same way as some British people have felt that their identity slowly, gradually has been unpicked. It's and eroded weird. over time. Mine went in a single vote. It was like, like a. It was. It almost seemed to happen upon like a blood type in British politics, which not only yeah. was extended to this vote, but also um, other stuff. Like if you're if you remain, you're more likely to be pro Megan, right? There's no specific reason for that. Um, yeah. You're probably pro, more likely to be pro Greta. You're probably yeah. more likely to be pro face mask, you know. Whereas if you're a lever, instinctively, the moment they started talking about the World Health Organization, I was like, "Yeah, the fucking World Health Organization!" <laughs> like immediately, yeah. like it kind of appealed yeah. to me. These fucking elite, these health elites, and yeah, and, yeah. and and it just that's what I guess what it did was because there was that 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 stat, wasn't there? That like a. Only 7% of people really saw themselves party politically in a strong way, but like 40% yeah. of people, when it came to leave or remain, did see themselves that way. And, it, you know, it's almost like we've had these blood tests and it's just we just know what blood type we are. And, it, and it, we're still yeah. in that holding pattern of how we move on from knowing that about ourselves. I, I want to ask you something, if that's all right. And yeah. I, don't, I don't ask this as a trap. At least I don't, I don't think I do. But well, the good thing is, it, is uh, I can, uh, if it is, I can, can edit, edit it <laughs> yeah. and then like yeah, go yeah. away and go on Wikipedia, <laughs> come up with a really good, and then then record it on my own and go, well, sorry, what was that, Marcus? Sorry, no worries. No, it's, no. Not, it's not a factual <laughs> trap, but I, it's no, a no. feeling. It's a feeling thing. I'm really interested. No, no, go ahead. I wanted to be honest. So there are two, two world leaders hmm. who are, or three if you include Johnson, two world leaders who are absolutely over the moon that Britain is leaving the EU. Yeah. And one of them is Donald Trump and the other is Vladimir Putin. They're fucking thrilled. Now, from l- at least my point of view, they're bad guys. One of them's a thick, dangerous narcissist and the other worked his way up from foot soldier to the head of the KGB. Right, I think he's a properly a bad guy. And I'm curious, not a trap, how do you feel as a lever that what you have helped happen 
delights those people. Well, it's imperfect. Because I think yeah. that's weird. Yeah, no, it's imperfect. I'm, I'm not fully comfortable with it, is the honest answer. Um, the I guess it goes back to this idea that was mooted around the time was... People used to say, look at who you're on a platform with. You know, people used to say, well, Nigel Farage agrees with you and stuff. And you kind of go, yeah, I am looking around this platform and there are some fucking wrongings here, you know? like, But yeah. I can't change the fact of that I think, and I still do, that in the medium to long term, this is this is the best thing for Britain. Maybe the question is, is, muddle, is wrong-footed then, or at least muddle-headed on, on my part. So I don't mean so much like... <sighs> How do you feel about share? You know the idea of sharing a platform or a viewpoint with those people. I suppose my point really is, Putin is thrilled at the breakup of the EU because it represents several magnificent opportunities. Firstly, his money and his friends and cronies' money is very largely in the UK, and being separate from Europe not only creates the instability in which those people will be able to thrive but also means that the questions that they're afraid to be asked will not be asked. And Trump, as the sort of, um, I wouldn't even say capitalist, because I'm a capitalist, but the sort of um, uh, exploiter that he is, of like in that he just doesn't care about what happens along the way, provided the money is got. He, both those people from different positions see this as their opportunity. So I don't mean so much from like, oh, well, you're on the bad guy's side, but like, I think they're going to fuck us really badly. Well, I think I'm so... Not, I'm I, persuaded I, I, that, that we'll be able to resist that. I, what was interesting was I actually read the Russia report, right? Sad bastard. But i tell you what, I recommend it to anybody. If you want to just feel momentarily intellectually superior to everyone... <laughs> It's yeah. just fucking read a government report because it puts you because everyone gets a bit they back off a little bit like oh for fuck yeah. some this idiot's actually read it and I did read it and one of the things that came out and this is more to do with Putin than Trump was that Russia's kind of savouring of discord is born of a general nihilism right because they feel backed into a corner so it doesn't mean yeah, yeah. it doesn't always mean that they see like specific definite opportunities for things it's the it's almost like the world's got to burn generally so whatever happens yeah. that causes discord they would agree with whether or not they were mm. whether or not they were shared political or ideological reasons to that in fairness one of the things that you know came out because obviously the russia report wasn't something we're all aware of russian money being in london and influence that is a concern you know that is something and i'm glad that i read it and I'm glad that it's out there in a way because I think yet again it's one of these things that the Tories now, in the same way that having um, having the red wall and trying to maintain that voter base, I think is a is a positive thing for the kind of politics, yeah. sort of centre right politics that I like. Yeah. I think that in a weird way, Marcus, actually, the focus on the absence of, of a particular evidence in and around interference, I think that you're, what you're talking about is the biggest story here. I mean, it's but it's not fair to say actually that there was no scrutiny on Russian interference in the Brexit vote. It's just that whatever came back from the security services wasn't deemed significant enough to look into in further detail, which does sound, it still sounds a bit weird. Is that, is, that, is that their conclusion? Like, just, there's just not enough here? Yeah, it, there, yeah, it wasn't that there was nothing. There was... I'm looking for a version of events that suits my view. Well, it was course. funny when it, when that report dropped, everyone was like, right, this is me, because we wanted something out of it. And it was such an unsatisfactory conclusion for everybody in a yeah. way. Like, if the Russia report had been a miniseries that you wanted to take on to another 10 yeah. episodes, that was the ideal way. 
the thing that the thing that's enraging about it for me is that Johnson has gone to incredible lengths to prevent it from coming out. Absolutely incredible. Dodged it and all the rest of it and tried to put Grayling in a position where he would prevent it from coming out. And the only conclusion I can draw about that is that had this come out when it should have done, before the election, further questions could have been asked before we ended the transition period. Now, there isn't time. Hmm. There's definitely no time. So whatever questions there are now about, okay, well, for a kickoff, like where did Aaron Banks's money come from, the largest political donation in, in British political history? Where did the hundreds of thousands that were spent on Facebook ads by the Leave campaign in the final few days, where did that come from? Who supported it? Where did the information come from about which people to target using social media? All of those are obviously... But we've questions. had, you know, we, want, we've had... Call- to be, you know, to be like... Yeah, you know, the, the, the baddies won and here's how they were corrupt because I hate the result. It's so painful and I, I want a certain answer. But now those questions, they can't be asked. And I feel really cheated. No, no, and I think I... Maybe you do about Europe changing and they're never going to ask you again. Yeah, I think I have some sympathy for that, having read the, the report. There's a question, like, it was a good question. And I think there's one... I'd like to ask of you, like when you look back at like last year in particular as the the kind yeah. of the anti-Brexit, you know, as there was more chaos, the idea that revoke um, could happen, right? You know, there were marches to that effect and there yeah. were e-petitions. Is there any part of things like that that was a problem behaviourally? Like when you take a vote, like my view is always like the moment that the Leave vote was returned, some form of meaningful Brexit had to happen. That was always my view. I thought you just can't, you can't dodge this, right? And well, I, and, yeah, and like, uh, yeah. Do, um, sorry, I should let you finish. No, but, but I, I think you get the point. <laughs> yeah, I totally get the point. So, not only do I feel uncomfortable about the idea of revoke it, just tell all those people who were asked their opinion. Actually, we asked you, but we didn't like it. So, sh- I think it's grim. But I tell you, I tell you what's worse is it took me to a place, and and truth be told, I'm kind of still there because I don't know how to unpick it. Where I concluded there should have been an entry exam for that vote, and I hope that people are horrified when they hear me say that because I'm horrified to have arrived at that view. It does because sound. I mean, like maybe I've seen too many f- films, but it does sound like it should be done with an evil. Accent. Yeah. That one. <laughs> I think Listen, there should be a, an entrance off. exam. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting. You chose a German accent. I went Russian. I <laughs> interested. Very interesting. Yeah, but, but so, but I, I, I obviously I don't stand by it in reality. But I come back to with this again and again. Right. So I was I was passionately pro-EU before there was any chance of there being a referendum. And I did material about it often, right? Back at, but go way, way back about Europe. A bit. I enjoyed how much it wound people up and all the rest of it. But I still believe, and I'm certain of this, and certainty is really dangerous, but I'm certain of this, we shouldn't have been asked that question. Not because of how either side campaigned in the run-up to the referendum, but because our now Prime Minister 
prided himself on the lies he told about Europe. And he said himself, I used to throw a brick and listen for the sound of breaking glass, by which he meant I'd say something about Europe and it always got a reaction. And all of those people, pro-Europe and anti-Europe, left and right, who described Europe as faceless Eurocrats, that was bad journalism. They weren't faceless. They never were. They have faces, they have names, and there are routes they took to get into the positions that they got into. They are accountable. Uh, this is, nobody, this is the problem. nobody did it. This is the problem, Marcus, is that even after, like, so we had the vote and then we had the backlash, and even, like, three years afterwards, I would sort of speak to people, not Matt, perhaps yourself, but people that would, that would identify as very strongly pro-European, and they would talk about what you're saying, and I would still say, all right, n- name, me, uh, name me anybody on the EU commission, you know? Yeah, name me your MP. It. it never, and I was sort of, I'd given three years to get tooled up on it. I did start to think that we'd had a, you know what, we'd, our relationship with the EU seemed to be that if it carried on, what would happen was that every four years we'd send back a load of UKIPs, right? And they would just kind of do a bit of wrecking and, and not really part, yeah. participate. So I sort of, I guess, figured that I don't think we're ever going to participate in this in, in a massively constructive way. Because here's the problem, right? You know, a Tory MP, you know, goes and visits a hooker and stuff, and I know who that uh, cabinet minister is, yeah. right? I, I know that there's a route to getting that person fired, you know? The same thing happens with an EU commissioner. Do I even find out about that? How does, how does my national media generate the pressure yeah, to, get, absolutely. to get rid of that and person? It, and it's all very well me, you know, banging my big comfortable armchair here and saying, but we could know, we could know. The truth is, it's, it's so many people and it's so big, we can't know. And I, as a, as a fervent pro-European, can tell you that the corruption absolutely fucking stinks. I mean, the very fact that there is a, a European Parliament in Brussels and in Strasbourg Firstly, is an outrage. Strasbourg should have been shut years ago. There was never any reason for it. It's a total waste of money. But worst of all, it generates this opportunity for money to go missing in expenses and all the rest of it because they move from one to the other and there's a sort of opaque, firstly, a colossal waste of time and money and all the rest. And there's this opaque, unseeable thing. There are huge, huge problems. And I totally share your view that the future for Europe was that we were likely to send lower and lower calibre people. You know what? I When we started this chat, right, I, there's so much that I wanted to ask, but I, I did, did, the way this conversation has gone, I think we should reconvene here because I think that the, thing, <laughs> the, the things that you're saying, I think there definitely needs to be a part two. Um, and, happy to, mate. And, happy and I think that you know people will be listening and what most people think UK at gmail.com because there'll be no no doubt there'll be things that you've said that have pricked them there'll probably be things I haven't said in response that they'll be annoyed with me for having not said um, but yeah I, there's loads of other questions you know I wanted to ask you about, about like doing satire during the Blair years and all that sort of stuff but I think that we should have a Another go at this. And we first talked about this. I can't remember. A long time ago, yeah. Were you at a mass report or something like that? And we'd we'd had another, like a little bit of a 
um, you know, a Twitter, just a tiny bit of a prickle, and we got we should talk about this. Yes, it's interesting. Well, I think and I should I, also reassure people as cordial as we've been with each other. Now, I don't want them thinking, oh, well, they're not really. In the moment, we're probably both quite fucked off. They can trust that you know, oh, like, yeah. yeah, like the hackles yeah, are up. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely. there's nothing quite like early morning post coffee Twitter rage. That is a very real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the great thing about comedy is it's just being honest, right? And you admitted about the entrance exam. I think that there's a lot of. Uh, who, what would be seen as left-wing comics that just wouldn't admit that, that would think that. I've spoke to so many people who've said that, but people are aware that it's a contentious point of view. It's uh, an awful thing to but think. But that's what we're there for, assume, though, isn't it, Mox? It we're, assumes only I'm bright enough to have my... Yeah, and, and then who sets, and who sets that tariff? I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg yeah. probably would know more about Europe than both of us, so he think mo- both of us would probably shut the fuck up. You know, well, so it just keeps... Yeah, I, I would think that he, w- he would fail. Here's it, very quickly, here's the thing I find most fascinating about Jacob Rees-Mogg, right? He is... Well, there's a couple. One, I know someone who was at Eton with him, and Eton still wear mourning dress because they're in mourning for the death of George III. That's true. <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg was bullied for being weird and out of touch at Eton, right? So, I mean, that's crazy. But here's, here's what I find genuinely fascinating. Jacob Rees-Mogg absolutely despises the way that rules and regulations are passed without any recourse from Europe to the United Kingdom, right? Unless they come from one man in a dress who was elected by a bunch of cardinals who've never had sex in their lives and a bit of white smoke came out. Well, that is so the big question about... All the, re- all the big substantive issues in his life, the really big stuff, right, that all comes from his fervent Catholicism passed down by one unelected man in a dress in the Vatican. He's fine with those rules, so much so he imagines he should control what a woman is allowed to do with her body. But if it comes from a commission and a parliament at which we have representation, apparently that's not democratic enough. So if I was, at this point, if I was doing like a radio phone-in show, that would be the next hour, I'd say, should Jacob Rees-Mogg Brexit from Catholicism? That's what we'll be asking in the last... (laughs) Yes, he should. (laughs) In the next hour. Listen, Marcus, man, it's been a pleasure. I definitely want to do this again. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Jeff. Cheers, man. Okay, so that was the chat there with Marcus Brigstock. I've got to thank him so much for coming on. He, like, he's, like I said, what I was interested in is not just the arguments about now, but he's done political satire for a, a long time, and I'm fascinated. You know, he's still doing it, and he's still got insights and stuff. And look, he might be a divisive figure to you. He, he might not, but uh, I, I really like to chat with people who I'm not necessarily uh, going to agree with. And, um, yeah, let me know what you think about that. And if there's any other guests that you'd like to hear from, obviously people that are, you know, within fucking reason, do you know what I mean? You just go Bill Burr. I'd love to have Bill Burr on, you know, fantasy guests. But, uh, who you you know, you can get more people now. People are sitting at home, I'll tell you that much. So if you've got any ideas, email whatmostpeoplethink at uk at gmail.com. Uh, so letters this week. I have... So this is a letter. So we've been speaking for the last couple of weeks about consent. And this letter is from... A lady, a lady, and uh, she says, I'm a 47-year-old lady, and I agree with your takes on relations between men and women. 
Each generation has its standards, but my bad experiences are probably average for my generation. I've had my bum pinched, been wolf whistled out, asked out in the street, flashed out from a train, you know, these are getting worse as they're gonna, and had a man press his erection on me in a packed train to Clapham. I mean, psh, I mean, one, you're going to the Clapham and then the erection, I mean, it's just, and it's packed train. That's not, it's not a good experience. I mean, this is the thing we have to face as men, that these arseholes are out there. Does It's not to say that they form the majority, but think about arseholes, right? You have one arsehole, and they do little things like that to 30 women. They're spoiling the male brand. This is why we've got to kick the shit out of these. <laughs> if there's any like liberal women listening, they probably thought, no, Jeff, this is it. You're going the right way. And then I responded with violence. But fuck it, you know. Uh, and I would like to reassure the men out there. This is back with our letter writer. Uh, that most of those experiences were greeted with eye rolling and the opportunity to tell funny stories at a ladies lunch over a bottle of wine. Okay, so interesting. Two reasons. One, because they were mental. <laughs> Uh, and society has mad people wandering about of all flavours. That's an interesting way to kind of um, uh, understand it. And two, because every other interaction with men has been one of opening doors, giving me a job, paying for my education, making me a laugh, doing the DIY and heavy lifting, caring what I think, and in the case of family, being prepared to lay down their life. Whoa, fuck. I got goosebumps when I read that last bit. I don't know if that's from actual experience. Yeah, and this is, I suppose, the thing that, that... where the debate about toxic men sometimes gets confusing for normal people is because you just think about, well, the, the people that love you, right? Oh, my God, I didn't think I was going to get emotional here. But, like, what those people would do, I think, that, you know, even my dad's generation, who, let's be honest, you know, they like to drink, they like to gamble. they would... But, ultimately, he would have done that. Yeah, being prepared to lay down their life. I think, you know, there's a lot of mothers right, do going, right now going, well, I'd lay down my life too, Jeff. But I bet you any money, if your geezer was there, you'd go... You, you want to take this one? <laughs> okay, there's a little cascade thing here. Are you going to lay down? Okay, fine. I'll lay down my life. I just thought it was worth checking here. I thought it was a little bit of a Jack and Rose situation on the Titanic. And it turns out there is room on the on the, the piece of wood, but it's it's only for Jack. Fair enough. But, um, well, listen, thank you um, for sharing that. I really want to keep this, this discussion going. You know, um, this lady, sorry, there's more of the letter here where... Um, that she says she had builders do it all the other week and she was speaking to them about these issues, right? And about their young men and how they feel about asking women out and, and all of them weren't, you know, didn't seem to feel comfortable asking women out. I mean, that is another question I've got now as a man who's been married a long time. Is is, is the old ways of asking people out, oh God, how much of an old fart do I sound now? And the old ways completely gone, are they? Because I would just, I mean, I asked a girl out once or <laughs> this is the least romantic thing ever. On a, a tube in a, on the Northern Line in Collier's Wood, she was um, she was going up the up escalator. I was going down the down escalator, and she was really attractive. And I guess I sort of wanted my rom com moment, so I kind of chased her up and asked her out. I mean, again, if you, she'd have thought I looked like a wrong, and that's not a good experience for her, right? And I think that because it was a little bit like a rom com, she went with it. And then when we had the date, uh, it was awful. I, I wasn't. There were two things that I did wrong. She did one thing wrong. I did one thing wrong. She. Kept on speaking about her ex-boyfriend who had a massive dick, which is, you know, I've got no specific concerns there, but it would seem like an odd thing to talk about for the whole day. And then, and then, or maybe that was a way of putting me off going, look, unless you're rocking that, she showed me like a Budweiser bottle and going, unless it's up to that, then, then you know, tap out. The other one was um, I tried to hold hands with her on the way home. And I know I'm just hearing the sounds of many uh, women vomiting right now. Yeah, I tried to hold hands. So it, was, it wasn't meant to be, but I guess doing stuff like that. I haven't really created a good example, have I, for the old-fashioned impulsive way of making asking people out, fuck it, maybe we should all go Tinder.
Okay, next letter here is from, this is from a teacher. I teach in a deprived coastal school made up entirely of white working class children where some of the newer teachers are a bit SJW-ish, uh, social justice warriors, right, a bit woke, and they want to lecture the students about white privilege. <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is a problem. Uh, given the spectator's recent front page about the dismal state of educational achievement amongst white working class boys, I'm not sure about this approach. There seems to be no middle ground where you can have a discussion about how best to think through the best way to communicate the necessary anti-racist message. Yeah, I mean, this is a problem now. Is a lot of teachers are going to the end, into the job quite ideologically, right? And they're not really acknowledging the realities of where white working class boys are educationally. I mean, I think when Trevor Phillips did his last, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he did a... Um, he did a report into the state of education and he said that white working class boys are the, the, in the worst state here and everyone kind of fucking ignored it. Um, yeah, I'd imagine that, that as well. Just standing up in front of loads of kids. You know the kind of kids as well got like kind of like vehicle grease on their face. You know the kind of kids where their dads are letting them drive vehicles even though they're like 12 and that. <laughs> they just, they get kind of like, um, you know, like they're sort of like kind of coastal hicks. You get that kind of thing, do you? You know that you can tell that they've driven a pickup truck, <laughs> even though they're only like twelve. You could just tell that they know how to do a three point. <laughs> and uh, and then you got some twenty one year old doing their NQT, uh, going. And so the reason why all white people have great lives is because it. Look, this is the problem: is that there is an obviously an argument in Western society. The experience of being white, on balance, is easier, right? But you it, being blanket about it just gives people an easy way to tap out because they sort of think, well, my life hasn't been easy. Fuck you. What most people think. Okay, finally, for the letters, we've got... Uh, this is from Sam. Hello, Jeff. He spells it with a J. I know I spelt your name wrong, but you can fuck off. <laughs> I wanted to table a who would win a fight between two ex-politicians. I propose Eric Pickles, controversial choice, given what's come out since, versus John Major, because they are both fat, sweaty fuckers. Um... <laughs> Winner gets a KFC on me. Thank you for reading my email and go fuck yourself. Well, that is, I, I, that gives me the sense that you're also a Bill Burr fan because that is, uh, that's one of his catchphrases and I'm honoured that you would use it to me. Um, Eric Pickles and John Major. Well, the first thing about John Major you've got to understand is I don't know, I don't know what he's looking like now, but he came to my school when I was young because I went to a comprehensive school in South London called Rutlish, by the way. I don't know if anybody else knows of the school. It was when the school had standards before they let women in, you know. And, and uh, John Major came to school and everyone was surprised at how hench he was. He was like six foot two and he's, he's a real like, I remember people saying he's built like a MFI cupboard. Um, Eric Pickles on the other hand, fat, I mean, if this is a, I'm thinking, I'm seeing this more as a wrestling match. I'm thinking that Major, he, here's why Major wins. He's a nice guy. And the one thing I've learned about nice guys over the years is they have a lot of thinly suppressed rage. Think about John Major, he didn't get to be prime minister by just taking it from everybody. Every once in a while, he said, you know what? You look can fuck off. That's what Major said. I bet he just, I bet he had Hesseltine up by the throat once <laughs> over the poll tax or something, you know? He just got him up there. Hesseltine, all his hair was ruffled. Oh, that Hesseltine, didn't he fucking, didn't he kill an Alsatian with his bare hands? Maybe that's the fight. Okay, we're going to come back to this. So I say Major wins early against Pickles and then next week we'll have the rematch, which is John Major versus Michael Heseltine. Go fuck yourself. Okay, that is pretty much the podcast for this week. Uh, just a shout out to a few £3 patrons. Lucy Jones. Thank you, Lucy Jones. Wilbur. 
and Anne Stevens. We, Lucy Jones, Wilbur and Anne Stevens. We always try and work out what kind of trio that sounds. I think Wilbur is giving us like an insight into that. I think that maybe if they are a band, Lucy Jones, Wilbur and Anne, I think they're in a kind of like experimental band that have like one really good album. Everyone fucking creams over them. They win an Ivan Novello and then like a few weeks later, old fucking Wilbur's working at Morrison's. You know one of those ones where you go, oh yeah, do you remember that year? Do you remember that year where they called... They, the band would just be called Wilbur as well. They'd just be one of the things. You heard the, you heard the latest one by Wilbur. And then uh, before soon, then Lucy Jones has a kid. Wilbur gets a job at Morrison's. And uh, Anne Stevens... Anne Stevens opens up her own PR company. <laughs> Sounds like PR. Anne Stevens PR. Okay, just some reviews. If you give me a five-star review, I will read it out. Uh, this is by Neanderthalhead. I don't care whether Jeff is right or left-wing. He just sounds like a normal, likeable bloke who is also very funny. I particularly enjoyed the Romish episode. Two comedians from different political wings who clearly like and respect each other. Restored my faith in stand-up comics. Well, who knows? Romish might be coming back to the podcast. Hopefully. Um, this is from Boise, 5674. Very good podcast. Nice to have alternative challenging perspectives. Don't have to agree with all that is covered. And why haven't I done this in a Boise? That's fucking obscene. Uh, very good podcast, Marlene. Nice to have alternate challenging perspectives. Uh, don't have to agree with all that's covered to accept the challenge. Good man. And this is from 17th of July. This is from Indy. For the insights provided into the mind of a fellow weak and angry man, it's reassuring to know I'm not alone. Did you just fucking... Uh you just fucking gaslight me. Is that what gaslighting means? I never know. I just use gaslighting as much as I can. Uh, somebody else saw me, uh, Hot Wheel, saw me on Maya Tusi's YouTube channel. Cheers, thank you. Uh, and now I think that's it. I think, oh no, there's one more from Bridpod, 1903. Great listening. A sane voice in and amongst the absolute nonsense. Nonsense? Maybe that's a new word. I, I don't agree with everything he says, but then again, it's not a cult, so why would I? Exactly. We've seen the dangers of that this week with Jeremy Corbyn. It's great to see all the. Uh, Woke left-wing comedians speaking out against racism when it's anti-Semitism, because obviously, you know, that is still racism, but maybe not to them. Uh, my fellow left-wing friends become more and more passively aggressive, angry at me for bringing this podcast up in group chats. So naturally, I'm going to keep bringing it up. Feel the sieve. Well, listen, that's great. That's what I'm here for. Wind your friends up. It's, I'm a rebellious guy. Yeah, I listen to that Jeff Norcott. Yeah, you know that guy that voted like a lot of people voted? Uh, voted for Brexit and a lot of people voted for that. He's, you know, he's so fucking edgy. He thinks men and women are different. <laughs>